0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are
2: you? I'm doing great. How's your holiday season? Pretty good, pretty good. Can't complain. That's that's wonderful. You have a Duke dog helmet behind you over one shoulder. You have a what seems to be a closet over the other shoulder and over your head. It's the tranquil waters of Jacksonville. That's right. I am inside of a closet. So <laughs> is that really where you are?
1: Yes, it is. It's uh, best uh, best spot in the house.
2: Well, I was wondering why the acoustic sounded so great. That that's got to be it. The other
1: day, I was in basically an empty room, which is just like not ideal for. body. Yeah, the other
2: yeah. <laughs> the last podcast was a little was a little interesting but if you haven't checked that out we talked with jc evans a miami quarterback who flipped from jacksonville state to jmu had a great interview with him and then of course kj flow out of charlotte he's been part of that class since the signetti era the signetti days and he stayed on and was kind of a a big time leader with that group we sat down and talked with him as well so if you haven't checked that out those are up over on our youtube and you can stay up to date with all JMU sports news happenings. If you just follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, where JMU Sport and YouTube, honestly, we're JMU Sports News for all of those. And another way you can keep up with us is uh by drinking some three notched beer. We'd appreciate it if you drank three notched beer. I'm
1: gonna try it with my eyes closed today. Okay. Okay. Monday, Minuteman Mondays. You've got three dollar Minuteman pours, Tuesdays, I believe it's half off cases. And friday first tap friday a new brew every week so i think that's pretty good
2: that was right that I, was on you got it right
1: shout out to three notch we love them thank you for your support and uh great beer great yeah beer. Right a lot up. of different options too which you'll go to some breweries and you've got like i feel like a beer or two you can drink at three notch you can go through uh
2: multiple options they're all pretty good yeah during the summer they have some really good goses, goses goose's,
3: gose's. yeah Yeah,
2: however you want to pronounce it (laughs) sour beers they fantastic some of that during the winter months they have a biggie s'mores out right now and i believe they have a special release this year they might do it every year but uh this year they're really promoting it they're bourbon barrel aged biggie s'mores uh so check that out if you're in frederick not fredericksburg whoa wrong place richmond (laughs) richmond uh harrisonburg roanoke Virginia Beach and Nelson County. Uh, they got some great stuff. They also have some delicious bourbon in and of itself being sold at all locations except for the Valley Collab House. And uh, the only people that don't get this time of the year off, Bennett, are pro athletes and us at Bet Online. We're not employees at Bet Online. With NFL bowl season and NBA in full swing, uh, Bet Online isn't taking a second off to make sure you have all the up to the second odds, news, and info. I bet JMU Moneyline after that line swung all the way where there were Moneyline favorites at plus plus one oh three yeah. hammered that that bit me in the butt. Uh, bet online has all the sports wagering info available uh, with both desktop and mobile access. If you head there today and get it on the action, remember to use promo code believe that's promo code BLEAV and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts and where marriages start. our friends in Harrisonburg and Weir's Cave.
3: There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry, chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and Weir's Cave.
2: Bennett, and you know what else people can't stop talking about? What's that? Our boy Daniel Merriman. His coverage of the Dukes hoops. We're bringing him on today on this Wednesday to chat some conference preview action. We'll go men's basketball. We'll go women's basketball. But Daniel, how are you doing this post-Christmas heading into New Year's season?
4: I am doing fantastic, Jack, and thank you both for having me on today. Very excited to talk some Dukes hoops.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. We're excited to have you. We had you covering the Cop and State game. Pretty exciting matchup there.
4: <laughs> Exhilarating. <laughs> the
1: Dukes. We've also gone to a number of games uh, just as a fan. So you've seen the team live and in, in person, which you can always pick up some some good tidbits for that. So they're 12-0. I think most fans are familiar that they're still undefeated, right?
2: Longest nation, nation's longest win streak as well with 12.
1: Pretty good. One yes. of three remaining unbeatens. What are some of the, uh, the big takeaways, Daniel, from a, a 12 and 0 start that included some tough ones to start. And then I guess some easier matchups here the last couple of weeks?
4: weeks. Uh, some takeaways would be high octane offense. This team, I believe is still leading the country in points per game and doing it at a pretty efficient clip. They're shooting the three ball fairly well at about 37%, almost 50% from the field, and that free throw percentage is up north of 70 now. You never see college teams have that type of efficiency at the volume that they're scoring at. So the ball movement has been excellent. They're winning their turnover margin. Defense has looked scattershot but improved, and they have so much depth. I mean, you can roll out a legitimate full bench unit with this team and there's very, very little drop-off, especially at the forward uh, and point guard spot. I think Jalen Carey is going to get a whole lot of minutes over this upcoming Sunbelt conference play. And I would not be surprised if Bickerstaff has to take a game or two out and Carey gets moved into that starting lineup and plays flawlessly. I mean, they they've really across the board looked incredibly deep. And Byington's coaching his tail off. He's been been doing very, very well with this roster. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah,
1: I've been I've been impressed. I was just gonna say that I was Going into the year Jack, I kept making those comments that like they weren't gonna be able to shoot the three and they were a small ball team that couldn't <laughs> shoot. Everyone on the roster who's taken at least 10 threes is making 33% or more yeah. uh, from deep, which is just very impressive when they play as many players as Daniel
2: had mentioned.
4: Well, not and, saying that go ahead, Daniel. And the fact that they have two guys north of 65%. Uh, Percent shooting from the floor just mm-hmm. in general and Jalen Carey and TJ Bickerstaff Jalen Carey's at like 70% from the field I believe at the moment that inside out punch is unheard of at the mid major level to have that interior presence is really something special and I yeah. think is going to give this team the ability to win a lot of games down honestly they probably shouldn't because they're shooting themselves out of it yeah and you hit on Jalen
2: Carey and Mark Byington he heard what Bennett was saying. They're a small ball team that can't shoot. And then I guess he heard what I was saying and he saw some of our group chat names where the entire offseason it was the Dukes need bigs. I can't believe we didn't beef up in the middle. I can't believe our low, all of this stuff. And Jalen Carey has just casually been one of, if not the front runner to win newcomer of the year in the Sunbelt. I mean, what Jalen Carey has done in this non-conference stretch has been nothing short of magnificent. It'll be really interesting to see how he then continues to develop into conference play was he one of those guys that uh, got a lot of minutes because they were in non-con and they're playing the Morgan States and the Coppin States of the world and now that they're playing granted the Sunbelt isn't much better than that with the Texas States and Georgia Southern's of the world but it'd be really interesting to see how he continues his growth this season his freshman year as we head into conference play but I want to pick your brain Daniel here of a this non-conference slate—I mean, it started with a win against Michigan State, a miraculous win against Kent State. Uh, what was it? Other of just an absolute beatdown, Fresno State, I think it was. I kind of get lost in the beginning of it because it was all a blur. Because then we had nothing for the last month and a half, it feels like maybe just month. How how has how has student involvement kind of? gone with this team has it ebbed and flowed or have the students been really into it uh, from the jump and even though it's been cop and state they don't really mind
4: i think for the most part the students have been incredibly tuned into this team i think with football season every year there comes a majority focus on that because jamie's had the historical success there and has provided plenty of winning teams over the past two decades but this basketball team has been something special and people recognize that and want to watch them play, whether it be through a TV screen on an away game, showing up to the AUBC, even during weekday games. I mean, it's really been impressive to see the students support and turn around. I do think that with finals and with the Christmas break, there has been a bit of a dip in home attendance, but that's kind of everywhere. If I'm being honest, you don't, have the luxury of saying hey let me go out to a Thursday night game when I have three tests the next week like (laughs) you you have different priorities in that essence but I think come conference schedules and come the start of the next semester there's going to be a pretty healthy I'd say average over probably 4500 people at every game and a good 75 percent of that is students the the end zones quote-unquote along the baselines have been packed pretty much every game that people have been in Harrisonburg for and that's been awesome to see even dating back to last year. I mean, you look at yeah. that local game at the very end of conference schedule before they went off to the conference championship down in Florida, that game was electric. Uh, didn't help that we lost, but it was <laughs> a great atmosphere, and people were really into it.
1: Do you uh, – when's the date, I guess, that uh, students come back? So are they missing out on a couple of big ones here? When, when do you return to school?
4: Yes, students come back January 16th, the day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day. A lot of upperclassmen, uh, sophomores, juniors, seniors, uh, they will be back a little bit earlier than that to get their off-campus housing stuff settled and things like that. Uh, But most freshmen are only allowed to come back. I think it's either that Sunday or that Monday, which means that they'll miss out on the App State game on the 13th, which is a shame.
1: Was I going to say that's the one? I don't know about you guys, but at least in the near future, that's the game that I've kind of got circled. circled yeah. And there, are, there are not a lot of circles on my my
4: calendar for the remaining. There's two for me. <laughs>
2: there are two circles for me, and they are both App
4: State. Yeah, I think I have four circled. I have oh. Ooh. whoa App, Louisiana, Negative Nancy, App again, and then that Home Mac Challenge game.
1: That's a, those are good circles.
4: Those are fine. That's yeah, a four. I, I those guess.
1: are kind of four four good ones to pinpoint. Yeah, I think the Louisiana ones may be going
4: a uh, little under, under the, the radar. Yeah,
1: they're yeah. playing decent basketball. That's their game on January 4th. So they've got one game between that and it's a road game, which makes it a little tougher. So that can be if you're trying to circle somewhere, maybe the undefeated season ends. That's certainly
2: one in the near future. Do you guys want to know a fun fact? about Go this whole winter break time. This whole winter break time, there might be, you might want to circle every single game played during this winter mm-hmm. break stretch because last year uh, during winter break, which was December 17th to January 15th, I did some digging and I found last year's academic calendar from the registrar's website. Uh, the JMU went four and four in those eight games they played over winter break, including the cop and state loss, including a two and two mark at home. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays into it. And that brings me into this next point where they're taking on a Texas state team here on Saturday in this double header, where there's all of this hype going into conference play. And then they're going to be in an uncharacteristically empty AUBC. I mean, it is going to be, they're going to have to create their own atmosphere. It seems like uh, heading into this game, much like Jamie football had to do with Georgia state earlier this year.
4: Yeah. I think there's going to be a, Bit of pressure from Mark Byington on this team because every time I've talked to him in postgame pressers, he's stressed the fact that this team is deep because they have to be deep. He's been saying this throughout the entire year that if we are not sharp one through 10 through conference play, we will get stood up by somebody that we probably shouldn't. There yeah. is always those games, especially in a marathon that is a college basketball season with those 30 plus games where you can slip, you can have a bad shooting night, you can have a really bad turnover margin game that just it, it can flip itself on its head. And if you don't show up and show out one through 10, you're not going to not going to have the result you want. So I think the non-conference experience of getting to play a ton of guys. And while I think the rotation will be a little bit shortened, I would be comfortable throwing Xavier Brown, Raquan Horton. I mean, Quincy Allen when he's back, because it looks like he's a little bit banged up at the moment. Jalen Carey, like that whole four, I wouldn't have a problem running against any Sunbelt starting five right now. And and that says a lot about how he's recruited and how he absolutely killed this transfer portal class.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty good class. They've been running with um, going on Ken Palm, looking at their lineups: Michael Green, Noah Friedel, Terrence Edwards, Julian Wooden, TJ Bickerstaff. A lot, pretty good five. That's oh that's gosh, a, yeah. that's an impressive starting group. Uh, I think for me, at least, I don't know about you, Daniel, but I've been pretty surprised by just how impactful Michael Green has been. I hey, sort of my him guy,
3: in. my I guy, thought
1: he'd, thought he'd be the starting point <laughs> guard. Did not anticipate him sort of lighting it up from three and being able to create his own shot as much as he can, which I think has been really impressive to me.
4: I think Byneton said it best when talking about Mike Green uh, saying that you never really want to judge a player on one stop or one season because in his previous two stops he did much different things i believe at robert morris he was a bit more of a scorer and really could light it up from from distance and average something north like 12 points a game but then you go to bryant and he's a seven plus assist guy with minus like less than two turnovers so to have that multifaceted approach to the offensive game of being able to distribute being able to create your own shot and now that he's shooting absolutely lights out from deep it opens up so many passing lanes for him uh, to be able to feed his bigs to be able to get open shots to julian wood and find terrence edwards on cuts i mean this team has had really good off ball movement which helps to getting your man open but he's he's taken that opportunity and run with it in terms of the starting point guard job he's one of their biggest x factors going into march of how successful they can be is on his shoulders now, looking into Sunbelt play, we've, we've hyped
2: up this team so much. What is the percentage chance that they do go
4: undefeated? Now we're talking football numbers here, Jack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, undefeated is very hard to do in basketball. At I, I level, know. At give me a percentage, Dan. Give
2: me a da- Don't dance around there. Give me a percentage. <laughs> I'll give you 7%. Okay,
1: Bennett. Ken Palm's got it at two and a half percent. I'll go a little higher just because I, I think some of the spreads where they have them like an underdog to app on the road and stuff surprised me a little bit. Um So I'll say like five percent.
2: Okay, that's fair. I'm saying like a hundred, but I appreciate your guys's <laughs> lack of trust in this team. No, I think I think JMU. I don't know if this is a hot take. I think they'll finish this regular season with three losses.
4: That seems to be the number. Bennett, you circled it as well. Three is their bubble if they can get an at-large bid or not to the NCAA tournament.
2: So you guys – think well, I guess Bennett, three losses is the at-large, you think?
1: That would be like maxing out, I think.
2: but And it would have to be right losses. App State on the road, Mac Challenge, if it's a good Mac team, which it looks like it will be. And then like what, App at Home? And then the flip
1: side of that, though, is if you're losing your quality games, that you—I don't know, like how the committee exactly would view it.
4: Yeah, yeah. And like then, honestly, I'd almost prefer like a fluke loss in there. Yeah, like you take like a 25-point L in the ear to like Georgia Southern or something <laughs> like that. Like I would see, much like, rather. <laughs> actually wait georgia southern just lost to a d2 team earlier this year so maybe not them but <laughs> <laughs> if they take like a really bad loss to a pretty poor sunbelt team i think that that can almost get like kind of smoothed over as an outlier and people are like man you know they had an injury or someone caught covid something like that so i i think that two to three losses you still have an excellent case again depending upon losses to make an at large bid but anywhere of four five six six, you're looking at you have to win the conference tournament or have something extraneously crazy happen because the Sun Belt is not a good league this year yeah it is it's not
2: good so it I don't know where I was going with that it is not a good
1: conference it kind of seems at large though like, going into the year, I was telling people that even saying at-large was, like, the dumbest thing you could do right before the I'm
2: pretty they sure we were on day. this podcast saying, even if we go undefeated, we're not getting an at-large. Yeah, that was maybe a little hyperbole
1: for some of that. <laughs> but we were talking about how, like, they're not going to go undefeated and they would have to go very close to undefeated. Yeah. It kind of feels like the way they're positioned and how bad the Sun Belt looks, I kind of feel like they're going to be in the at-large conversation. Like, it would be a little disappointing for me if they do take or more conference losses am i a little bit too uh, well, too excited
2: there are they this year's fau is that is that hyperbole to say like are they this year's fau
4: no but in a different <laughs> way <laughs> the the reason i say that is because fau had a fantastic defensive starting five last year like they could clamp up anyone from a power five level yeah and i have not seen that from jmu yet don't get me wrong their defensive efforts have been valiant and they're definitely improving but you have to have like lockdown defense to be able to even squeak at running that to the final four at that this mid-major level so i I could see it because they are so incredibly like potent offensively. Like It's possible, but anything past a Sweet 16 run, I think we're we're a little bit pipe-dreaming there. Okay. All right, fair. All right. All right. Sorry, yeah, little a little bit of a realistic take. But. <laughs> just to
1: add a, a little bit to that, last year at the end of the season, Florida Atlantic, they were 22nd offensively in Ken Palm nationally, 34th defensively. Jamie, right now, is 37th offensively and 115th defensively so there's there's definitely a, a bit of a drop off there when you look at the defense
2: okay I retract my statement but more so what I was at, let, let me rephrase that question then though can they be that team at the end of the season at the mid-major level with one or two losses that is kind of the nation's darling which is kind of how I saw FAU last year am I wrong with thinking that kind of similarity
4: yeah, I think that that could be stated. It's really tough because, again, the Sun Belt has a lot of notoriety in football and almost none in when it comes to basketball. Yeah. So to even get some type of national coverage for this team, I mean, it takes a signature win like Michigan State, but they don't look particularly great in the big 10 Don't get me wrong. They just beat the absolute crap out of Baylor, who is a top-10 team, and they very well could turn it around. MSU always looks like a, a really good team come March. But,
2: January, February, Izzo, April.
4: Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to have that type of notoriety, you just need to have a better schedule. You need to have more notable names there, and you need to have just frankly, a really good team. And I think JMU checks off that box of having a really good team, but I don't know if the other factors would line up into them becoming a nation's darling. I could see them being an extremely good mid-major team that gets a lot of traction and bracketology of people saying, oh, this is like a 10-7 matchup, pick them. Like, I can see that, but in terms of nation's darling, I don't I don't think we're getting there quite yet. They give me some Charleston vibes from last year, more than FAU. Okay. Yeah, like they, they remind me in some some odd way of like those Drake teams that you always see as like a number seven seed. And you're like, hmm, <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. And then yeah, they yeah. win two games in the tournament. And you're like, ah, that tracks. Like that, that kind of <laughs> – it kind of reminds me of that, of where you're like, huh, I guess they're having a really good year. But it looks like this could hopefully, if Byington stays around, be a, a consistent theme in JMU basketball. I think
2: big big if on if Byington stays because – there's probably power five teams looking at him right now, kind of the top end, but that brings us to the three notched weekly preview. We're transitioning the three notched weekly preview from football into basketball. And this week they're taking on Texas state on Saturday, the 30th to start sunbelt play Texas state, their head coach, Terrence Johnson, the Bobcats sit at six and six on the season, but they are three and one in December. But two of those three wins are against non-Division 1 teams. Their one loss was a blowout loss against the best team per Ken Palm in Houston. And Texas State is 0-4 this season against top 100 Ken Palm teams. They're 180 in Ken Palm. They're 194 in net. Uh, I'll start with Bennett. What, do, what does JMU have to do to beat a Texas State team that really they should beat? Texas
1: State is pretty sweet if you look at their splits. Like, big-time defense and just no offense, which is hilarious. But it makes it kind of interesting, right, if, if Texas State can have a good defensive showing and happen to have one of their probably, like, five games this year where they shoot well, it could certainly be an upset. I remember last year uh, during the break, I thought JMU and conference games with a small crowd at home played sort of to the crowd and to that dead energy. So I but think you if they you can – yeah, I think if they can bring sort of that energy, one of the games might have even been Texas State, I could be wrong, but the the energy last year is pretty dead. If they can play at a higher level and just pay attention to what they're doing, which they've had pretty good practice uh, here playing Coppin State and Morgan State. Uh, both those environments are relatively dead. So I think if they can show up and just play the way they played all year, like Daniel mentioned, they have enough depth uh, that even if a couple of guys have an off night, some others can sort of fill those roles. So I would feel pretty good if you're a Jamie fan about the matchup.
2: Daniel, when you're tuning in on ESPN Plus on Saturday, what are you looking for out of JMU against Texas State?
4: Uh, I will be at the game, Jack, not on ESPN Plus, but th- thanks When well, you're watching <laughs> in person. <laughs> um, I expect it to be a game one on the glass. If you take a look at Texas State's rebounding totals against Houston, they out-rebounded them by two. Uh, to do that against a Power 5 team, especially one that's top five in the nation, and don't get me wrong, the offensive rebounds you don't have as many if you're Houston because you're making so many shots. So take it with a grain of salt, but that that rebounding battle can be absolutely crucial into the amount of possessions you get and what type of offensive sets you can run, how you can get out and transition. Uh, this JMU team, however, thrives with a quick pace. If you let them run up and down the court and make it into a track race, they're going to win nine times out of 10 or maybe 10 times out of 10, the way the season's starting. So I think, think that there's going to be a pretty significant first half battle. I would not be surprised if Mark Bianton's team uh, takes a double digit lead in the second half and pulls away. I love it. This week's three notch weekly preview presented by three Notched Valley collab house, Harrisonburg,
2: Virginia. That takes us into a quick women's basketball preview. Um, I just kind of want to get your guys's overall thoughts on, on this team post non-conference Uh, They're 8-4 and currently. They're 3-2 and in the month of December. Started December with a loss to Liberty. They rattled off three straight. They now are coming off of a loss against Maryland. And they, too, open up conference play at the AUBC on Saturday against ULM. But but after this non-conference slate where they look great at times and they look really bad at times. Bennett, I'll start with you. What are your feelings about this women's basketball team right here as we record?
1: Yeah, we talked about the Sunbelt men's basketball not being the best. Women's is also not great. They don't have any teams in the top 100 of the net. Uh, so JMU should be firmly in the mix to contend, especially with Heaven Bristow having eligibility. I mean, they're 8-4. and four. They've got some decent wins, and um, their three-point shooting has not been good, 27.6%. Peyton McDaniels really struggled to find her shot. Uh, even Steph Oderkirk, who shoots a lot of threes, has struggled a bit, too. I would think that would get a little bit better, right? Fingers crossed, not going wood, win all that good stuff. But if they can get those two shooting it a little bit better with Bristow in the mix as somebody who can handle the ball and pass the ball, right, create some assists, which I know is something they've struggled with in the past, then I think they're going to be fine. I mean, I don't think they've played all that well and they still have a decent record and should be contending
4: in the Sun Belt. So from that regard, some reason for optimism perhaps. Daniel? This team has severely lacked creation from the guard spots. Jamia Hazel has been excellent for them, always a downhill isolation scorer that can get you a bucket. However, the point guard rotation is severely, severely different from last year. Caroline Drummond was a floor general that could get anyone the ball and, I mean, was playing 30. 30- plus minutes a night you don't fill that hole automatically and you have carol miller and chloe sterling who have done admirable jobs uh shout out to chloe sterling in my accounting class um <laughs> but <laughs> very much have been providing a nice spark in terms of scoring in terms of overall game the defense has been fairly solid uh but when you have so many players that are off ball like the Peyton McDaniel types, like the Susha Kozlova types. When you have players that rely on creation to get their shots and to get open, it's a little tough to consistently create half-court offense. However, to offset that, they are huge. Like their size is one of the best in the Sun Belt. You have two true 6'4 centers that just – it makes the game really tough when you're clogging up the lanes like that, when you have a stupid athletic Kevin Bristow (laughs) coming in from the four-spot just swatting shots all over the place i am very excited to see how she develops within the system because shauna regan had her on the practice squad up until two weeks ago and you don't transition perfectly into the starting five or the bench rotation from that like you're expecting hey this is me getting in reps understanding the system i'm gonna have to wait out a year and then play in 24 25 no you're right in the mix now so I think with her athleticism inside scoring and creation, the regression to the mean with the three-point shooting from all across the board, they are not a 27% three-point shooting team. They haven't been for many years and I don't think they will be this year either. So I'm excited to see what the final product of this team is. Yeah. They're definitely loading.
2: Yeah. Cause you mentioned they're, they're they're not a great shooting team right now. And I think a big reason for that was Kiki Jefferson was fantastic. She could create her own shot. She could drive downhill, downhill. She could spot up and take the three. And she was a very above average shooter for kind of the type of player that she was. And with her great play, it opened up opportunities for Peyton McDaniel, who is one of, if not the best spot up shooter, catch and shoot, going to drain it in your face type of player in all of the Sun Belt. And without that type of player in Kiki Jefferson, and there was no one that really could step up and fill that void. They tried to become this feed it down low to Kozlova. The second she got two fouls in the first quarter, the offense just came off the rails. So I'm really interested to see Heaven Bristow's impact because I think with her now in that lineup, she has the ability to kind of fill that void. These are huge shoes to fill, and I'm not saying she is going to you know, completely fill that void, but she'll be able to kind of give the offense a shot in the arm when, when they need someone to drive to the hoop and create something. I think heaven Bristow will be there. And, and like you said, Daniel, as this season goes on, it's going to be electric to watch her just continue to grow in that role. And I think then we're going to start seeing Peyton McDaniels numbers shoot up. We're going to start seeing Hazel's numbers shoot up. We're going to see Kozlova's numbers shoot up. And just across the board, everyone is going to take that, you know, half step, full step forward. And, and is it is it too crazy to say that I think now with Bristow in the fold, they are – the favorites by kind of a, a little bit of a good margin to win
4: the sunbelt i think they have the chance to be the only reason i don't say that they are at the moment is because there is so many moving parts that need to go right for this team to be as dominant as they want to be Sean O'Regan spoken about it in his pressers and in his interviews with Corey Spector saying that hey we're still figuring out our rotation we're still trying to find our closing lineup he normally is still figuring out that rotation in March though So I'm going to need my guy to figure
2: out his rotation.
4: This is true, but you do have a lot of really good quality players. I do think Kevin Bristow's impact is going to be crazy, crazy felt, because when you have a big body down low, Susha Kozlova isn't going to get the fouls that she's getting currently, which means she gets to stay on the floor more, which means her impact gets to be felt at a higher level when she's playing 25, 26, 27 plus minutes a night instead of the 18 or, or 20 that maybe she could, she could be getting with early foul trouble. I really hope that this team also embraces their defensive identity as just really long. like the fact that there's no one averaging over I think it's like 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.7 blocks a game right now is a little frustrating <laughs> because with the length that you have and the players <laughs> and personnel that you need, there you you should be blocking shots. your interior defense is good, but you're not rejecting them at the same level. That could lead to fast breaks that lead to easy and opportune offense. So I think that, that that defense into offense, fast break running, and just interior presence needs to be taken to where it's at and moved up a little bit. And then by that point, if you're slamming the ball inside, guess who's wide open? Steph Odekirk. Kirk. Peyton McDaniel on a on a hockey assist is getting an open three. Like that type of inside out ball can really bolster this team's offensive prowess, make their numbers like look a little bit better cuz right now they're a negative assist to turnover ratio. They're turning the ball over like two more times than they're assisting it per four. game. 4.3 Oh, it's 4. 4 they have a negative 4.3 turnover margin per game which is second worst in the Sunbelt right now. Yeah, that's not going to win you Sunbelt tournament games where you're stuck in the half court. I mean, it, it it's frankly just not how postseason basketball works. You need to be able yeah. to create in that half court and the fact that they haven't had that so far mm-hmm. leaves a little bit of, of growth to be desired. But the fact that they're playing this well and are eight and four and taking pretty good losses. I mean, Toledo, Maryland, those those are not exactly the Keystone College, like those are those are good teams, <laughs> yeah. and uh, a credit to Sean O'Regan and his staff for getting those games. And shout out to Neil Harrow, a great Twitter follow, uh, always insightful and always willing to to put theirs against the best. And I think that's commendable and will pay dividends in conference play once they get this kind of figured out.
1: Yeah. yeah, I love it. It's also like some of the context around this team is super weird, where like Kozlova didn't have her visa to go on the Cancun trip. So oh, Reagan was just playing her fewer minutes early like, in the year. Yeah, Year's let's League.
4: get Anna Goodman ready. Uh, yeah, so she
1: played first, I think it's the first six games, she played over 20 minutes once. She's played at least 20 minutes in the next four games and had her best statistical outputs of the year. So it's like,
2: oh, they'll play her more and they should be better and Bristow's available. Yeah, so everything moving forward, this team, I think, should be a contender, be in the top two of the Sun Belt yeah. from here Up on out, two on. or
4: three, I think, is a reasonable expectation. Yeah, and then a potential another
2: Sun Belt win, probably not an NCAA tournament win caliber type of team, but definitely an NCAA tournament caliber team.
4: Could you imagine? Born sends a team to the Armed Forces Bowl, a team to the NCAA Men's Tournament, and a team to the NCAA Women's Tournament. Talk about a legacy year. It's <laughs> a pretty, and good then one. expands Bridgeforth. Ben <laughs> Hofer, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> ah.
2: I swear <laughs> to goodness gracious, but Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time, talking some hoops and uh, have fun watching the game in person on Saturday uh, as you, as you take it all in and watch jam. You hopefully beat Texas state by, you know, 15, 20 points.
4: Well, absolutely love to see it. You can follow me on the at on screen at Daniel Merriman underscore be covering the game there on our Instagram at Jamie sports news and a write up afterwards. So thank you so much for having me on guys. It was a pleasure.
3: Dope. Thank you, Daniel. See ya. Lit. Awesome stuff from Daniel.
2: Uh gives better insights than I think you and I give us uh, half the time when it comes to basketball things.
1: He's also like
2: younger than us, but way more reasonable. <laughs>
1: we'll be like, what is <laughs>
0: going on with this team?
1: <laughs> he's always got the context, which is which is helpful. But he's done a great job, yeah, covering football and basketball for us and um, providing some great insights at the games, post game, and then certainly on the podcast as well. So we are I think we, uh, we got pretty fortunate with him wanting to be a contributor this year.
2: Yeah, so shout out, Daniel. Uh, if you aren't already, give him a follow at Daniel Merriman, M-E-R-R-I-M-A-N underscore on X, formerly Twitter. And that will take us into football. If you have anything you want to get off your chest about this JMU football season, if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, th- whatever it may be about this JMU football season, let us know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. If you're watching on Twitter, be sure to just kind of reply to the original tweet, and we'll try to get to them as time goes on. We have listener questions at the end of the episode that we'll dive into as well. But Jamie Football, their, their season's done, man.
1: It's done. What are your What are your thoughts on the overall year? Obviously kind of a disappointing bowl game. 31-21 loss to
2: Air Force. That triple option is no joke. You want to see what one of my lower third, for the podcast viewers, one of my lower thirds is, turns out it's tough to stop the triple option with a makeshift coaching staff. Kind of feels like one we should have picked up on (laughs) pregame. I'll be honest there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. We were kind of stupid going into that game. We were like, no, he he got that coach from Lafayette from the 1990s, man. They should be good to go.
1: This guy read a triple option in 1983. They're right. <laughs> <ready. laughs>
2: and then, literally, the first handoff right up the middle, I was watching with my friend Dom at the Charlotte watch party. He turns to me and he goes, Huh, it's tough to stop the triple option when you can't stop the first option. Yeah, if you can't stop the dive. <laughs> It becomes
1: a long, a long day. What a nightmare matchup, man. You see South Alabama got Eastern Michigan. They beat him by like a thousand. And the only time they really had any issue was after the game when the guy tried to punch him in the back of the head. But like, that would have been cool. <laughs> Why couldn't they've gone on a terrible Mac team, man? Could,
2: here's, do you want to hear my hot take about it? I think if JMU you yeah. got any of the other Sunbelt teams, like the other, 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 any of the other Sunbelt teams is opponents. I think JMU wins like the triple option is just so hard to stop with a makeshift coaching staff. That was a
1: tough one. It was tough and it, it didn't go great. Kind of a disappointing end to the year. Um,
2: and I will also say the 31 21 score, that final score line makes it look a lot closer than it was.
1: Didn't feel that, <laughs> that close. <laughs> no, that was a, that was a tough one. That's the first time they've really gotten uh kind of spanked like that in in years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes you appreciate what Kurt Signetti was able to build at JMU for all of these years.
1: They were doing a good job. Um, hell of a season, though. 11-2, yeah, I- right? Beat UVA, which I know I had some people trolling when I posted that as a thing. Holy you beat UVA. They hadn't played him in 40 years is why it's relevant. It's not like a annual occurrence where they play him. That was cool. Beat Troy, right? Finished atop the, the East. Got in the top 25 again. Just a really good year.
2: It was... A fantastic year that, like you said, ended a little a little where we didn't want it to end as JMU fans. But um, really just – I doubt anyone actually listens from the team. But, like, thank you to the players who decided to play in that bowl game. I mean, Elijah Surratt, who looks like he's already out the door with his latest tweet, was playing on one leg and led the team in yards. Y- you had Aiden Fisher – just absolutely ball out 17 tackles. He's at Indiana. Now Jordan McLeod looked like he was coming out of the game. At one point, he's halfway to Houston. As we speak, it's not officially been released, but man, has he left so many breadcrumbs that you could just put a whole loaf of bread together with them. I, I mean, he's gone to Houston and they were the biggest contributors and they were the guys that were gone. And I just like people questioning their effort and things of that sort. No, I don't think there were, not having effort I think it's just really tough to stop a triple option
1: one of my favorite takes well it was was like a really large take from a lot of people that they weren't playing hard
2: and it was parroted by by a former JMU player not parroted it was seemingly started by a JMU football player former JMU football player absolutely that is terrible to start that yeah (sighs) okay maybe that should have been my festivus
1: just funny because um they didn't play that well. They played against a good team and got outplayed. Like the I feel like Jamie fans because they've won so many games recently haven't had those where it's like, "Oh, we got outplayed." So if they lose, it's like, "What's going on? The Duke should never lose. They're so good." But no, like Air Force is good, especially when healthy, and yeah. they're they're probably better than like a JMU team with a ragtag group of coaches.
2: Yeah, if Signetti plays, I think if Signetti plays, if Signetti suits up and gets out there, I think it's tough for Air Force to stop. There's no tape on him. If Signetti's the coach and they don't have all that transfer impact, I think the game's very different. I think Jamie yeah. wins with the Robo did fantastic. He's going to continue coaching an amazing offensive line. He's been announced as the offensive line coach for coach Bob Chesney. Uh, great to see him be retained on that staff. He, he wasn't. a a head coach I mean to start the game it was great pass great pass negative run negative run punt and it was just like ah an offensive line (laughs) coach is coaching this game (laughs) there is some yeah some stuff there and then it's
1: also just hard to prepare a team for a triple option when you don't have your usual coaches so you're like you're trying to figure out who's coaching what with new coaches who don't know the players, right? So if you don't know the player, you might not know like how to best motivate them during practices or like how to best teach them. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, some of these are excuses. Some of these are actual reasons
2: why they lost air force is good though. Air force is uh, Air force. is a real good football team. Uh, Dan Miller on X asked fun season. Do they start next year in the top 25? So they finished up the year in the AP top 25 at 24 New coaching staff, half of a new roster. Unlikely that they start next season in the top 25. However, I think with all the momentum around them and kind of the storylines from this year, you know, if they start 2-0, and 3-0, I th- 3-0, you have a win against a Power 5 team and an AAC team. I think you're you're in the top 25.
1: Yeah, probably won't start there uh, <laughs> because Indiana wasted no time post bowl game um, to say that, they had landed seven JMU transfers. So I think that, what does that bring the total to like eight or nine or something? Nine, I guess. Yeah. So that's a, that's a lot of really good like starter level players that are going to Indiana they have some others going elsewhere. Um, Like Surratt is better than Indiana probably. So he'll get some, some NIL deal. I would assume. Uh, McLeod also seems
2: like he's possibly probably leaving.
1: They're replacing a ton.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a different team on the field next year. It'll most likely still be a Sun, I think, a Sun Belt East contender. Uh, I'm very interested to see who they bring in and how they perform. They've had great success. They've, they they offered a wide receiver from Army, and you might be hearing that and going, well, they'd probably never have caught a pass before in their life if they're a wide receiver for Army who runs a triple option. Now, he averages 21 yards per catch, and apparently he's electric when he has the ball, and JMU has success. Chris Thornton came from VMI, another military institute. Uh, maybe that pipeline continues to exist, so I think they'll, they'll replenish. They'll quote-unquote reload, we don't rebuild, we reload. And I think Bob Chesney will have him as a winner next year. But, man, do they have a ton to replace. But let's focus on this year. Sorry to take that quick side note looking ahead to next season. Uh, was there anything from that game that you were watching and you were like, oh, I should – other than being like, oh, it's hard to stop a triple option with a makeshift coaching staff. Was there anything else you were watching and you are like, oh, this was a glaring issue all season that I just never paid attention to?
1: I had watched a few Air Force games, um, and Bo Richter, every time you watch Air Force play along the defensive line, you're like, wow, like that dude is very good at football. Their front seven's phenomenal. They got some good guys in the back end. You'd think at some point I would have pieced it together that like, yes, the offensive line is pretty solid. But losing both your starting tackles to injury – you also lose, um, what Carter Miller transferred out, right, and didn't play in the Bulls, so it's a starting yeah. guard. Adds a lot of new faces on an offensive line going up against, like, arguably the best defensive front in the Mountain West Conference, one of the best defensive fronts. That's a team that was in, like, the top 25. And if they stay healthy all year, they might be in Liberty spot, might be the Mountain West champ, you never know. I think I should have known that, like, the defensive front was going to create problems, and then I just didn't. Didn't piece it together. But McLeod was running for his life for a lot of the game.
2: Yeah, I feel like I went into that game really confident, and like looking back, should not have been confident. That's
1: a Air Force is really good. Like that's the <laughs> yeah. that's the number one thing I think I did not do a good enough job of conveying to myself it was like Air Force is really good, and they dealt with a lot of injuries, so their four game losing streak
2: is a little bit misleading. Yeah, uh, Gary Flora on Facebook. Given its bowl performance, is the Sun Belt not as strong as we thought compared to other group of five conferences? Um, Gary, I think Sunbelt kind of finished it off. I believe they finished five and seven in bowl games. Uh so not a terrible mark. And I, I think that won't take anything away from them going into next year. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so they they started horrendously. Um yeah, 0 and six or something like that. Also, pretty easy to tune out after the JMU. Lost, but it got a lot better so they're five and seven uh they had two overtime losses by a field goal um and some of them are tough matchups like six and six marshall against utsa is just a nightmare of a matchup jmu Um, against air force yeah kind of a tough matchup right troy played duke and sort of the like our coaches have both left bowl, um and then i guess had just the flu raging through the roster um, so there's a lot of things like that. Arkansas State lost by two points, right, in a game where it looked like they got an onside kick recovery, but they were deemed to be offsides. So there's a number of of different factors. I think, actually, if you look at, like, point differential, and maybe I'll do it here during a break, although we don't have breaks. But when you're
2: We can <laughs> going, make one. We have a no, Christopher William
1: Jewelers ad loaded. When you're going through something, I might tally it up or check later. But five and seven, and I bet they have a, a positive point differential as a conference. So. Not the end of the world. Also, 12 teams in. Some of those teams aren't going to be all that good. Like, I think Conference USA sent four total teams. The Sun Belt won five bowls, right, because they had so many teams. I think they'll be good next year. I think they'll be solid. I do think the Sun Belt is a hot take. Maybe a little bit overrated in some regards, where I think, like, there's decent depth in the league. I think sometimes though we overreact of like these schools are football
2: crazed and you like played Georgia State and you're like, are we sure about that? Yeah. Um, Daniel Merriman on YouTube said most bowl wins in Sunbelt history. So see a good season helps that you put 12 in. I, I do kind of agree with that. It almost feels like the CAA during the FCS days when we all were like, the CAA is the best FCS football conference. And every year they get like four teams in the playoffs and come the second weekend, JMU was then the only one playing. And it's like, well, maybe they're not the best conference. Maybe they just like beat up on themselves so much throughout the year that we think they're good. But then you end up with a six and six Marshall team that really isn't that great. Or you end up with a Georgia state team. They did win the famous Idaho potato bowl, like you end up with a Georgia state team that at the end of the year is like limping to the finish line. And you're like, okay, maybe they're not that great. Texas state though. They sold out their entire stadium, Gerald Ford stadium of alcohol. So shout out Texas state. They rushed the field after they win. So I think there is some dormant programs in the Sun Belt that maybe if Texas state can continue this upward trajectory, they just signed GJ Kenny, their first year kind of crazy good head coach to a five-year extension. If they're able to take that step forward, you get them. And then maybe if Georgia State can go away, um, that'll be great. But I agree with you. I I don't think the Sun Belt is nipping on the power five heels, but I do think the Sun Belt is in line with the American Athletic Conference. I think that's fair.
1: And then I guess in the future, right, if you're trying to get in the 12-team playoff, your ideal, right, is you have like two or three other really good teams at the top that yes. you can get, which, like, those major
2: wins. Can can I – I think this was that year, though. Like, Liberty was undefeated, so maybe there was an argument where they were getting in no matter what, no matter what happened in the Sun Belt. But, like, if this was a normal year and JMU and Troy are playing against each other, I think it would have been really hard to deny one of those teams' entry into that group of five spot.
1: I think so, too. So, I think, yeah, like, I think in that regard, like, the Sun Belt it seems pretty well positioned for, for future success, which is good.
2: But those two teams have now lost their amazing head coaches. We'll see how they reload. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah.
1: I, I will say, I think JMU may have done a, a better hiring job than the Trojans. I,
2: I agree 100%. But that's also pious playing. Speaking of a fantastic coach that JMU has hired, Bob Chesney. He continues to build out his coaching staff. Bennett wrote about over on JMU sports our home on the web. Um, can you kind of go over who JMU has added? Uh, They added Lyle Hemphill, the Duke defense Mm co-defensive coordinator. So power five experience, bringing him over as the defensive coordinator. They brought in Dean Kennedy as the offensive coordinator. He's kind of this young gun type of coach who got his, all his grad assistance and early start in the sec. He comes down from Holy cross after he spent, I think just one full year as their offensive coordinator was there for two years as a quarterback's coach as well. Uh, But, but, how has this this coaching staff been building on? What are your initial thoughts on it? Pretty good staff, and they've kind of got it mostly locked
1: in. I think they've yet to uh, have like the running backs coach leak. But yeah, you mentioned Kennedy's going to coach the offense, and and he'll be the quarterback's coach as well, which I
2: had originally missed. You want to know my, uh, my hot take? Yes. They might be getting a running back coach who's like a power five guy who's still in a bowl game. Oh, I like that. That's a good take. That would make sense. Thank you. Okay, we'll keep an eye out for
1: that. Robo coming back along the offensive line. Uh, They got Justin Harper to coach the wide receivers. He had recently coached tight ends at ODU. Also spent four years recently coaching Towson's receivers. So pretty good experience. He's a Virginia Tech grad. Uh, Drew Canaan is going to do special teams and tight ends, which is what he did at Holy Cross, I believe.
2: It's common for special teams coordinators to do that. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, it is interesting.
1: He's a good one, though. Their special teams units are are nuts, so that's a yeah. big time hire. And that was early that that one was uh, announced. You mentioned Hemphill. Interesting one, right? Because he was at at Duke when their defense this year was big time. Wake Forest for three years as the DC. <laughs> they weren't all that. They weren't all that great in terms of like scoring defense those
2: years. Um. Not very good at all. He was their defensive coordinator from 2018 to 2021. The best his defense ever ranked in scoring defense was 76th in the nation, which was 2019. So in 2021, they ranked 88th, 2020, 90th, 91st, excuse me, 2019, 76th and 2018, 102nd. So he's coached safeties and defensive backs and things of that sort. Throughout his career and has found success, he started at Hofstra, uh, moved around, uh, found his way to Stony Brook. He was out there on Long Island having himself a good time and and coached some really good FCS defenses, some really good FCS back ends. At Wake, he was a good safeties coach, but when he took over that defensive coordinator role, the defense just was never that dominant. And I remember you and I would text watching Wake games in 2020 in 2021 and it was just like okay if they could just not allow 76 points sam hartman would be undefeated uh but then he did do well with duke at his last stop
1: yeah i think overall you're probably pretty pleased but it's it's one i've seen some jamie fans like dunking on people like we got power five guys (laughs) to be clear there was a shift in the duke coaching staff so they're getting guys who are like looking for jobs they didn't poach him from duke uh, the same is true of the strength and conditioning coach Jason Novak, who comes from Michigan State. Both those hires, I think, are big time. Right? You got Power Five experience uh, for some good schools. But again, um, Novak was, I think, looking for a job because Michigan State had that that turnover. But those are those are still pretty <laughs> weird turnover yeah. at Michigan State. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, pretty good hires there. I like those. Sam Daniels, defensive line. Uh, I can't remember if we talked about that last time, but he was, no, I think it was after the bowl they announced it. So um, was coaching at Delaware as their defensive line coach. He's been at Richmond, Howard, Bridgewater, and then played it at JMU. They have Zach Sparber, who was a defensive analyst with Duke. So he's worked with Hemphill. He's going to coach the linebackers. I was also a grad assistant at Virginia Tech. Eddie Whitley is staying on. He's going to coach in the secondary. Um, I think I have some of this wrong. Kyle Barnes is on the coaching staff, but I don't think he's going to coach corners, although I don't think that's been officially announced. Um, but he'll be on the staff. And then they have Anthony DeMichel, who I believe is also going to do um, secondary stuff, and definitely doing a bunch of recruiting, coordinating stuff for, for them. And he's an interesting one because he's coached running backs and special teams and safety, so they can kind of plug him wherever. So I think, yeah, basically just looking for the running sp- running backs coach. But it's a good staff. They got Power Five experience. They have some Holy Cross, and then they have some guys who are retained uh, from the previous JMU staff. And they're
2: going to add another
1: Power Five
2: running backs coach, according what, to my hunch. According to your hunch, as we're hearing. Yeah. But I, I really like this staff. I think it'll be really good. Um, I'm a little sad that we lost that entire coach. I'm not so much sad we lost Signetti, but like Shanahan is going to be a Power Five head coach soon. Back soon. Mm-hmm. Brian Haynes, Tino Sincero. Like, those guys were just dogs. These guys could be, too. I'm just a little sad we lost all of them. Fair. I do
1: think some fans probably got to pump the brakes a little bit on, like, we've upgraded the whole staff. That staff was so
2: good. That staff was – you hear it in the post-game the interviews, like, when Cole Potts was just like, we have a coach that actually cares about us now, and, like, was just an unprompted shot across the bow to Kurt Signetti. Yeah. The reason that team was great was I think in spite of Kurt Signetti. Like Whoa. no no no, that, that sounds wrong. Nice <laughs> I, I think he put Signetti was great at hiring coordinators and great at hiring people around him. Like if you took Signetti out of that that equation and you had all of those coordinators, that team probably doesn't take a huge step backwards. I think that's fair. That's I'm not trying to like Take another shot at Signetti as as he's on his way out. I already did that with my tweet. I've muted Signetti. I'm good. I'm good. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I just think like his strength was being that CEO coach and putting great people around him. And this is going to be, on paper, another good staff. But yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a vast, huge upgrade just because they have guys from Duke and Michigan State. Cool. Duke played Troy in a bowl, and Michigan State was a tire fire for the last two seasons. They're too, fun. too harsh. They're, they're
1: physical. No, it's just, it, I wouldn't assume that the, everything's like amazing just because it, of what you're seeing on paper. Definitely don't say it's an upgrade. I would say that like, let's pump the brakes
2: on, on and Ever, Maybe it is. Everett Withers coached for the New York giants, right? If he was added to this coaching staff tomorrow with NFL experience, I don't think he's an upgrade as a defensive backs coach. Two of the coaches I'm most excited about were Holy Cross carryovers. Oh, I'm game. so hyped for Dean Kennedy. Yeah. I'm so excited I think he might be an upgrade. He could be could be really, really good. So I'm excited about the
1: the staff. I think it's a good one. But again, a lot of it comes down to also like you can scheme some stuff up, you can be really encouraging, but like who are your guys? Who are <laughs> who's on your roster? <laughs> so how they do yeah. with the portal and who they add to replace a lot of starters will be important as well.
2: Yeah. And as portal season rolls on, I uh, will continue covering that with the transfer portal tracker. And every time there's a big transfer addition, we'll be sure to cover it here on the JMU sports news podcast. And quickly, I have to do some back end production stuff before we head into JMU football festivus. Uh, so here's another word from our friends over at Christopher William. Jewel-
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
3: There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and Weird. Cave.
0: i haven't celebrated festivus in years what is your interest
1: Just tell me everything
0: huh? many christmases ago i went to buy a doll for my son <laughs> i reached for the last one they had but so did another man as i rained blows upon him i realized there had to be another way a new holiday was born A Festivus for the rest of us. (laughs) And at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. And is there a tree? No, instead there's a pole. Requires no decoration. I find tinsel distracting. It's made from aluminum. Very high strength to weight ratio. And now as Festivus rolls on, we come to the feats of strength.
3: Not the feats of strength.
0: Until you pin me, George. Festivus
1: is not over. Please, somebody stop this.
0: Let's rumble.
2: (laughs) We love that. Love it. So, Jamie Football Festivus, airing of grievances, are upon us from this past year of Jamie Football. We took the time to thank Jamie Football, everyone who played. But it is time for us to air some of the things that made us mad. Uh, Bennett, do you want to start with your two grievances?
1: Yes, I would love to. Okay. My number one grievance. They host college game day again. Third time. And they take their second game day loss. Unbelievable. I don't know what the, the exact records are for like FCS and group of five teams with game day hosting. But one and two is extremely disappointing. App State good team, playing decent, kind of got spanked by Troy in the uh, the Sunbelt title. This is an extremely winnable game at home. I don't know if they got cut up caught up in the the hoopla of the week or whatever. Oh man, that's a winnable game that they didn't win against App State. If they come away with that win, that comeback has a chance to be one of the greatest wins in program history. Couldn't get it done in overtime. Heck of a fight to get there. But that's that's certainly a grievance for me is another game day loss is pretty tough.
2: Okay, so my first grievance, JMU's turtling mm. really upset me, uh, is specifically the Utah State game, so much so that I have another clip. But
4: the name the Turtle Club, you know, it's just a name. I think you takes
1: me a little bit. And this was, turtle. this was Signetti.
2: You? Uh, you a member of the Turtle Club?
1: Well, not exactly. Not exactly. But am I not turtly enough
3: for the turtle club? Is he okay? He's fine. He's fine, turtle.
2: <laughs> this was Zignetti girl. in the Utah He's State game.
4: This place ever since he was a child. Girl. Um, Do you think we can for a moment? We'll be out in five minutes. Mm-hmm.
2: Great. One, great movie. Master of Disguise, a fantastic movie. Secondly, his turtling was so annoying and his his lack of aggressiveness early on in the season, even throughout the season, like in key fourth down moments, you just wanted him to please go for it. If you just go for it, you could win the game in the third quarter. But as Pete Carroll says, you can't win the game in the third quarter, but you can win the game in the fourth quarter. And sometimes Signetti really really wanted to just win the game in the fourth quarter. If if a team went up 7 nothing on him, he was figuring out a way how to win 8 to 7. It was just so annoying in the Utah State game. Just the run's not working. Pass <laughs> the ball. Okay.
1: He's a big turtler. That was something. All right. Second grievance, final grievance for me. The starting quarterback fiasco where they go on and, and camp about how he can't name a starting quarterback, won't name a starting quarterback because it's a competitive disadvantage, doesn't help him out, whatever. Super annoying, don't love it. Then they start Alonzo Barnett. He struggles against Bucknell. He's benched for Jordan McLeod. And after the game, going into a real game against UVA, a huge game for the program, he essentially says Jordan McLeod is the obvious starter. Why can't you say that in August who the starter is then? Well, you need a competitive advantage for Bucknell. The same Bucknell team you're telling me you're like not tackling for and not preparing for in a normal way and treating it like a scrimmage, but because you don't want a competitive disadvantage. I don't know what Chesney does with starting quarterbacks. I hope he names a starter in August to give me a little bit of happiness before the season, or at least is a, is less annoying about it, and will give like a strong, correct hint.
2: Yeah, that's a great grievance. That is a. Great grievance. I almost went no tackling in fall camp as one of my grievances, uh, but I had to end that bit. And and my last grievance was JMU's inability to run (laughs) the freaking ball. Just like we went into the year. This is one of the best offensive lines in the Sun Belt. Oh, my. Kalon Black is a monster. They added this Tony Brooks 60-year guy. His experience. Latrell Palmer is just a powerful back. And then we sit here at the end of the year and they ranked 111th in the nation in EPA per rush. They were third last in the Sun Belt in rush yards per game. They were second last in the Sun Belt in rush yards per attempt at 3.9. And it just felt like they were so willing to bang their head against the wall time and time and time and time and time time again. And it was just so infuriating. The, The run wasn't working, man. You don't need the run to set up the play action. You can give me all of this stuff about old school football. None of that mattered because at the end of the day, you were averaging less than four yards per run, and you came into the year talking about this great offensive line. You came into the year talking about your great running back room. We were part of it. We were expecting great things. But you know who were one of the first to flip on the run game? Us. Me. I hated it. It was so bad. And they just kept doing it. And it made me really upset.
1: At one point in 2024, I'm going to pull up a chair and I'm going to watch a full Indiana football Big Ten conference game. And I want to see if they attempt to just run it back because they got similar guys and now they're wearing the candy stripes. Are they going to try to run the ball? Because they couldn't do it against some of the worst run defenses in the country. It was mind boggling because then like Kalon Black is a monster like receiving the ball. And making great plays. It does not make any sense. It did not make any sense. Then there were some that like, didn't like Latrell Palmer. Maybe they're mad at him from the fumbles. Maybe he was a little banged up. Maybe it's a combination of the two. And you know who looked good in the bowl game? I thought Palmer looked pretty good. <laughs> Palmer
2: looked good. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Man. It was kind of like a wide receiver was coaching the running backs. All right. That ends this year's JMU football grievances. Running back Thank too. you so much for tuning in. They essentially hit control C control V on the whole running back situation from JMU. They went, you know what? I know we had one of the, they were like, we, we had one of the worst running backs, running back rooms in the entire nation. You know, if we get Nick Kidwell here and Tyler Stevens and Tyson Lawton and Kalon black and bring the same coach over, I think we'll have different results. And you know what that is, right? That's quite literally the definition of insanity.
1: I can't wait to watch it because the pass protection was great. They threw the ball all over the yard. It was awesome. Couldn't couldn't figure out the running game. Also interested to see if Chesney can get that, get that going finally.
2: I think he can They ran it well in 2022 with Todd Santeo. Percy and, and Percy. Yeah. So all right, that brings us into listener questions. Let me fire some at you here.
1: Okay. From Dom. Dom Palumbo. What conference record does men's hoops need to compile to really make this season feel like a success and have your postseason expectations for the team changed
2: um, following the unbeaten start? No, because I think coming into the season, my expectations were a Sunbelt title. Like, you should be competing at the top end of the Sunbelt. And at this point, like, the expectations have changed a little bit. But I I still think an at-large bid will be so difficult to do because you can realistically only lose two regular season games. Uh, so, so to answer the last question, no, my expectations haven't really changed. What was the first part of that question?
1: Uh, how many losses in um, or a conference record would make you feel happy with the season?
2: Another thing, I, I don't think any necessarily a conference record good enough. Here's my answer. A conference record good enough to get into the Sunbelt tournament and win it. To me, I'm, I'm measuring the season on There's winning Sun Belt the Sunbelt tournament. tournament.
1: Fair enough. I think if they go, like, I'll be disappointed if they lose more than three, like a little bit, just because I think they're good enough to do that. But if they're, like, 13-5 and five and that's, like, tied for first, I'm not actually going to be upset about that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> this is from your guy, Tyler. Shout out Tyler! Tyler! All right, this is this the best time for Jamie Sports ever or even in college? People are dogging JMU about losing the bowl game, but don't realize this fall was not just about football. He had men's soccer, basketball, college game day. Uh most of the schools haven't achieved what JMU has in 2023.
2: I, I think this is the best time for Jamie Sports ever. Like and I don't think anything comes close. I would agree. Bowl loss included in that, like the 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 exposure the free advertising you got through game day through Pat McAfee, even in a weird way Kurt Signetti leaving because then JMU was in college football headlines for looking for a new coach and, and they've they've made they've been in headlines whether it's the Daily News Record whether it's our search volumes on our website like. JMU has had staying power this entire season, and it has run now through the Armed Forces Bowl. And even with the loss, there were headlines uh, kind of questioning JMU, like their Cinderella story ends in Harper. Like, all things considered, this has been by far the best football season ever. And I also think just with men's soccer playing extremely well, now basketball out to this fantastic start, uh, you know, volleyball getting an at large berth, all of that stuff. This has been by far the best fall in JMU sports history.
1: Big time, especially I feel like sometimes we overhype what basketball did in the past. They were good. We,
2: we so overhype it.
1: Yeah, like they had some fun teams and like it would be cool, right, to get back to that. But like what they're doing now has a chance to exceed it. Um, getting By a lot. Exceeded it. Yeah, like they're going undefeated late in the year. Like there's a lot of things they're doing that they have not done in the past for basketball. And then you look at football where now they're at the FBS level getting in the top 25. Yeah,
2: I think it'd be hard to argue for another time in history. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Let me fire one off at you. Oh. Which JMU team sport will have the best postseason for winter-spring? I'm going to go lacrosse. Okay. I I like it. You can make an argument for men's basketball. I'd say lacrosse as well, though. Lacrosse was, like, very good this last season and, like, returns a good majority of that team. Of all the players being offered by JMU in the portal, who would make the biggest inc- impact? Also, who do you think is a sleeper to upset the men's team, if any? I think we answered that earlier. Yeah. You believe Louisiana is a sleeper team to upset yeah. the men's team. Um, who, of all the players in the transfer portal JMU offered, offered, who, who has the potential to make a big impact?
1: I have no idea. This is a great question. A great question. This is so hard to project because they've had kind of a limited number of offers and they're really starting to ramp up now. The other thing is like Elijah Surratt had like 700 receiving yards at St. Francis and over 1,000 at JMU. Like it's, it's it hard to starter. be, yeah, it's hard to be like, oh, like this guy's clearly going to be a huge, because typically they're going to get guys who are like G5 or FCS or they just offered a D2 kid. So it's hard to know exactly how it'll translate. So I don't entirely know. Um, on the offers. Elijah Hills is a name for Albany, really good defensive lineman. That would be interesting, but he's looking pretty hard at West Virginia. So I'm not sure that will be a possibility.
2: Yeah. Jacob Irv Tran. That's a great question. We will continue kind of monitoring the portal as these offers come in uh, and and reacting to it. Hopefully next week, we have some more news, some more guys uh, that have, uh, that have come through, but as of right now, maybe the army wide receiver, just because that wide receiver rooms lost so much, but really not entirely sure. I think of the players that we've already added, in the portal, Jacob Dobbs is going yeah. to make the biggest impact. Uh, which J- – oh, I already read that one. Do you want to rattle off a few?
1: Yes. From 88 JMU2. Given the weak JMU hoop schedule – kind of answered this, I guess. Will they need to run the table to get an at-large bid if they don't win the conference tournament?
2: No, but, like, yes. Pretty close, right? <laughs> I mean, if you go undefeated, you'll get an at-large. If you lose one, you'll get an at-large. If you lose two, you'll get an at-large. If you lose three in the regular season, so you'll end with four because you don't win the right. Sun Belt tournament, maybe not. Maybe too many. Because that might – Then like you guys said earlier, you and Daniel, it, it all depends on who your losses are to, And also, if you, you need good losses, and if you have a good loss, it takes away a good win.
1: And then also the net has that predictive – metric in it still. So like margin, they claim like margin doesn't matter, but that's like how predictive metrics work. So like blowing teams out is also helpful. If you take like a 30 point loss, that could could ding right. you. So that's it's all like very fascinating.
2: Yes. Um who will have the better winning percentage this spring? Baseball or softball? Hmm. Softball. I, yeah, I
1: like going softball here. I feel like we're, we're maybe toward the end of the <laughs> era. Uh,
2: we are the anti jammy baseball podcast uh,
1: this one i think is just a no but it's from eric update on the search for born successor
2: i haven't heard anything so no <laughs> uh, this is from jmu rva is jordan returning is sluka transferring which players still in the portal plan to return uh i don't i don't think mcleod's gonna come back mcleod to houston Sluka, the mo- I texted Ben at this. The longer Sluka is in the portal, the more I think he's coming to JMU. <laughs> I think I agree with you. Um, um which player still in the portal plan to return? I think any player still in the portal is not coming back to JMU.
1: Here's a question though: Taurus Jones was notably not in the group going to Indiana.
2: He also notably wasn't in the group playing
1: in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. what about uh what about brent austin at corner he maybe the game. he played the game he's in the portal there aren't many guys left in the portal who haven't named a destination i don't think serrat has really any chance of coming back
2: sure. i thought serrat had a chance of coming back just for like the love of jmu and what cheese has done all that good stuff and then he tweeted like yesterday i will be immediately eligible in the fall and i was like oh bye <laughs> i was like bob bob probably knows that Oh my god! Your hand. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought there was a hand coming over me. Oh my god! I thought
1: you got scared by Frank for a second. <laughs> I was like, "Man, it's your dog." He so scared Sorry, carry on. That was awesome. Ooh. No, but he's probably gone. So most of them are gone. Most of them are going to Indiana, which is uh, interesting. I thought there'd be a couple of the group of seven that they announced that would have went to other Power Five. So I was surprised they all wanted to go.
2: Trying to find another one. Mangy dog. This could be a joke that just goes over my head. It's a joke, yeah. <laughs> okay, I it goes over my head. Read Will the next athletic director retain JMU's policy of not scheduling vacation Bible schools with the football team? That's another Liberty jab for a guy, Mangy Dog. Okay. But Liberty's on the schedule.
1: Um, don't remember the exact years. They are on the future football schedule.
2: All right, awesome. And Sean Conway, now that the bowl game is behind us. Can you give an overview of key dates where we can expect more moves and maybe what JMU needs to strive for by those dates, transfer portal windows, signing dates, etc. cetera. I think right now for the next week, week and a half, you're going to see a lot of movement in the portal in terms of guys visiting JMU in terms of guys getting portal offers Uh, Chesney kind of has marked down January early January is the time when they're really really going to put full court press on and I believe the transfer portal window closes January 20th you can't enter
1: after the second of January so you have to be in the portal by the second and then typically I think the people are going to sign pretty soon after because they want to go to school
2: yeah that's a big part of all of this You, you have to sign by a certain point to then get enrolled in the spring semester at the school you're going to, because you have to be enrolled to them play.
1: I think that's what people miss when they're like shift the transfer portal windows. It's like, well, they're, they're here so that they can enter the portal and then pick a destination
2: and then also attend the school because yeah. it's college football. So I think the first week of January is going to be a ton of stuff happening, whether yes. it's coach finishing out the coaching staff, uh, getting portal players in, maybe potentially a few more JMU players entering the portal, maybe a few of them coming out of the portal. There's going to be a lot of craziness from like January 1st to 8th. I would agree. All right. Anything else? Um,
1: oh, here's do we do Kyle's one about the women's basketball has picked some belt preseason to win it? What's your confidence level right now that they finish atop the conference at the end of the
2: regular season? My bad, Kyle. I read your other one, and I completely forgot about your first one that you sent, which uh, is a great question. My confidence that women's basketball will win the Sun Belt as of right now, after watching them start eight and four, still probably about a seventy-five percent. I think Bristow's addition is massive, and like I've hyped it up. We hyped it up. I don't think it can be understated what she is going to do for JMU. Pretty huge.
1: Yeah. I think he was on O'Regan was on the sports blog podcast preseason and said they would be like a 22 win team without her and like a 28 win team with her. So uh, yeah. not it's, a scientific analysis.
2: I don't think, but like they're going to be better with her. And when we were talking about, I mean what she does on the court just will elevate everyone else and it puts everyone else in their correct position on the court. Yeah. And that, that can't be understood. I think that they're going to be, there might be a few growing pains. They might lose a couple games, early on in the Sunbelt conference schedule that you're like, why'd you lose that? But by the end of the year, I think they'll be able to be primed for a Sunbelt tournament run. I agree. Awesome. Anything else you got to add for this episode of the JMU sports news podcast?
1: Yeah. I want to get in here early Tulane double digit underdog to Virginia tech up seven, nothing, uh, stop the count. Hokies, another, another disappointing year for them. Just a garbage program. So that's disappointing.
2: That's without Tulane starting quarterback.
1: Now, except except for the coaches who Jamie was hired that have all the Virginia Tech Connections. Obviously, they were in an era when the hokies were thriving and their experience will be extremely valuable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. For Bennett Conlin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. If you're in Harrisonburg, Richmond, Roanoke, of Virginia Beach, Nelson County, be sure to stop in at three notched. And get some delicious Minuteman juice on Mondays. Half half cases of Valley Club. I don't know what I'm doing. I never do ad reads at the end. All right, you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya.